Hello, I know most of you know me, but for those who don't, my name is Natalie. I've um, come over from Hastings venue this morning. Um, if you've been around for a few weeks, you'll know that we're in a devoted preach series at the moment. It's called Devoted, and we have been looking at um, God's heart for people in poverty, or on the margins of society, or those facing injustice. And last week, as part of this series, we had our Social Action Gift Day. Um, it was the first time we've ever done anything like that. So, you know, we just felt God calling us to do it, and we thought it'd be good to raise some money for the projects that we run across all of our venues. And I'm absolutely delighted that across the venues, we raised £35,750. Isn't that amazing? And thank you so much to you guys here at Bexhill, because I know that, you know, a significant part of that came from you, and we're just so grateful. And it's just, I just love being part of a church that is so generous. So thank you so much for playing your part in that. Um, I'm also really delighted that as part of this preach series, we have Paul and Denise Brown with us um, here this morning. Um, they're from Bermondsey in London. They're going to tell you a bit about themselves, so I won't say too much. But for those of you who've been to any of the weekends we've had with Angela Kem, they're dear friends of hers. They've also, in the last few years, become friends of mine as well. Um, I just love the fact they really, really, they're so much fun. So much fun. They love Jesus. Uh, they really, really love people as well. So why don't we give them a great Bexhill welcome as Paul comes to speak to us. Oh. Thank you very much. Oh. This isn't new to me, you know, preaching three sermons in a day. We used to do this at our church. It used to kill me then as well, by the way. We used to do two morning and then an evening service. So I'm seasoned professional when it comes to this. Um, what I'm going to do today is we're going to talk a little bit about um, diversity. And, and the, the aspect of diversity that I want to cover the most is diversity around class, although what I'm going to say we'll, we can apply to pretty much every aspect. But before we do that, I thought, Denise travelled all the way down here with me in the car, um, screaming at every puddle and fallen tree that we dodge around. The police stopped me about five minutes from the Ridgeway on the A21. I don't know why, but the road was blocked off for some reason, so I added another 15 minutes to my journey because I didn't know where I was going. Um, so, but Denise kept me entertained all the way, so I'm sure she's going to entertain you with a little bit of her story as well. To rapturous applause. I'll tell you a little bit about my story. I didn't go looking for Jesus at all. He came and found me. And I grew up in a working class family in Greenwich in South London. And not one member of my family went to church. I don't know any Christians in my family at all. And as I say, I didn't go looking for Jesus. But I always thought there was something missing in my life. I tried to... Um, fill my life with going out with rich boyfriends because I thought that's where I would find security because I think I was quite insecure and uh, <laughs> I thought I would find it in someone rich, live happily ever after, the end, you know. But life's not like that and so along the way I was pretty messed up but I always, something in my, I knew there was something missing and I met Paul, we were living together, we had a baby and one Saturday night, just a normal Saturday night, I popped upstairs to try and... I was looking for something. And in, inside a handbag I hadn't used for a while, I found this leaflet. And I thought, what is that? I sat on the bed and I read it. And I just knew God was real. I knew. 
and it was supernatural because people could say to me, how did you know, how did you know? My eyes was opened. I knew Jesus was real. And I sat on the bed and I thought, wow, God, I found you. This is what I've been looking for. I didn't understand it all. I didn't quite know how to become a Christian, but I just, as I read the leaflet, I said, Jesus, I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong. I don't understand it all, but I really do want to follow you. It was as simple as that. And my whole life changed from that day. This was 36 years ago. So I went downstairs and told Paul. I said, Paul, I'm going to go church tomorrow. He honestly thought I'd gone mad. We, it was just a normal Saturday in our house. And God come and found me. And he totally turned my life around. All, my life was in a bit of a mess, really. And he put all the pieces back together. And um, he gave me a security that I... I'd still now, when I talk about it, I just think, wow, God, you know, how kind are you that you come and found me when I wasn't even looking for you? I didn't know how to find him, but he come and found me. So, yeah, so I've never, ever, ever looked back. I love being a Christian. Well done. So, Denise's family, Denise grew up in Greenwich, um, Earth grandfather was at a lorry business, a uh, haulage business. I grew up in Bexley, south, sort of just southeast London, northwest Kent. My grandfather had a business, a lorry business. Um, I, w- I grew up surrounded by lorries and piles of building materials. And I was the oldest of five. In fact, my sister's here today. Hello, Di. Diane don't live in Bexley, but she knows, she's like my fan club. She came, she came all, the way, all the way from Eastbourne just to hear this, which is very nice of you to come with your daughter and husband and friends. Um, so, so I grew up, like I say, the oldest of five. My dad was a lorry driver for my granddad's business, which was started off as a demolition firm, and then it morphed into a haulage business and latterly a builder's merchants. Um, and we lived adjacent to the yard. There was a yard in Bexley, which was muddy in winter and dusty in the summer, and as kids, we loved it. You know, it's like a big adventure playground with piles of sand to muck about on and cause trouble. Um, and my family uh, uh, historically had moved out of Deptford, which is just, a, just along from Bermondsey where we are now, southeast London, sort of south of the river, north of the Old Kemp Road. Tower Bridge is sort of right there for us. Some people know anyone from Bermondsey or that area? Most places I go, you find somebody. Some of them don't always want to admit it. You've been assimilated. Um, I left school at 16. That was the same year as my mum walked out on us, um, which had its impact on us in different ways. I drifted into a couple of little jobs, and then it was almost inevitable that I would end up in the building trade. My, a number of my uncles, my maternal grandfather was a builder. He had a building firm, and my uncles on that side were all bricklayers. I worked as a hod carrier for a while. That was up and down. And I oh, know, sorry. <laughs> and, and then eventually trained, trained as a bricklayer. And I'd never set foot in a church myself till I was 25 years old. And this is sort of almost where me and Denise's stories merge. Like she said, we, we'd got together soon, very soon after we'd met. Denise was pregnant. We'd got our first house, our first baby. I had a job I enjoyed. I'd achieved all my life's ambitions. Life was good. 
And then she came and said, I'm going to church in the morning. <laughs> Honestly. I, I, when she said I thought she'd gone mad, I can't stress that enough. I thought, what has happened? She, she's gone mental. But sure enough, she went off to church and, and she was a transformed person. And then she started on me. You must come. Come and see these lovely people. Right? And, or, or she'd say, I don't want you to go to hell. Oh, I don't want me to go to hell either. But I didn't quite know what that meant, but it didn't sound good. So eventually I went along to this church, and after a, a number of weeks, probably a couple of months of meeting people, getting to know some lovely Christian people, asking questions, reading bits of the Bible, reading books that people suggested I read, because I, asked, I said to myself at that time, I don't know anything about Jesus, so I'm going to find out. And after, through this process, it got to that point where I thought, if this stuff about Jesus is real, if he really did leave the perfection of heaven and come and live a perfect life on this earth, that his mission was always to suffer and die in my place, taking the punishment I deserved, buying my freedom and righteousness, then I've got to do something about it. And I remember praying for the first time in my life as a 25-year-old, going a little bit red with embarrassment in the dark. I was laying in bed and I said something like this, Jesus, please forgive me for the things I've done wrong. And I named some of them to him. I'm not going to tell you what they was. And, and, then, and then I said this, and I said, I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. And I meant it, and I have. That was 36 years ago, yeah, 36 years ago. And life's not been um, a bed of roses all the time. In fact, some, we've been through some painful situations and difficult times. But I always say this, I would much rather go through the pain and the difficulty with Jesus by my side than without him. And I'd encourage you, whatever your life, wherever you are, stay close to Jesus. Because he will never let you down. So today, we're going to talk about diversity, like I said. Diversity, primarily of class in the church. I mean, the church should, all, should be, I believe, a glorious mix of people from all walks of life. You know, I, and I've got friends, dear friends now, who I would never be friends with in any other context. We was even talking in the car coming, coming here from the Hastings Centre. We, we've been to some really posh venues because of posh friends, right? So we, we, we were exchanging which um, posh London clubs that we've had meals in, right? That would never have happened if I had met. So I, I love mixing with all sorts of people. And it's because of Jesus that we can be devoted to one another. Whatever our background, whatever uh, our experience of life, we are united. If you're a Christian here today, you are united. We're united in Christ, aren't we? That's where we find our common ground. And you know, there's been, there's been a huge shift in society's view of working class culture over the decades when we haven't really got an industrial base or a manufacturing base left in this country. But when we did, there was a certain, there was a certain pride, sort of a working class pride, a working class culture. You know, people would say, oh, you know, that's hard working, hard playing, salt of the earth. There was a sort of acknowledgement of that. The best you'll probably get today is pointing at certain sections of society and saying, well, they're the scum of the earth. Things have changed and attitudes have shifted. The church in the UK, has a dominant culture. Do you know what that culture is? 
it's, it's essentially white and middle class. It's a white middle class institution which can sometimes muddle up certain middle class values with Christian values. And we can't always see the difference. And we, we need to work hard sometimes at separating those because it can be a source of uh, difficulty. And what we have to remember always is we are created in the image of God. You know, there's, there's those important, well-known words in Genesis chapter 1. They'll probably come up on, on the screen. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 say this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. They're well-known words to those of us who've been Christians for any length of time. You know, God created humankind in his image. But that truth has profound implications for all of us. Because that truth insists that all people from all backgrounds, classes, races, ethnicities, are created in the image of God, male and female. And since all people, I'm stressing this, aren't I? Since all people bear the image of God, all people deserve to be treated with equal dignity and honour. It's not controversial, is it, for us as Christians? We'd all sign up to that. It's easy. No, it ain't. Because we're so different. And it's because we're all so different that it makes that difficult to, to treat all people with equal dignity and honour because we're of the different nationalities and the different races and the different sexes and different ages and different backgrounds and different jobs and different lives and different experiences and the different classes... It's a minefield out there. And if you come from a dominant culture, and in the church it's white and middle class, there's that, it, we don't even realise it, but some people may think, well, this is the right way, because that's the way I'm doing it. Whereas there's a, a, a broad sweep of different ways and different views and different definitions of how things are done. The human body has many parts, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptised into one body by one spirit, and we share the same spirit. There's the unity Regardless of your background or your age or your gender or your life experience or your education or your income, it's Christ. It's in Christ. Now, this may sound obvious, but so many of us don't behave like this is true. I've, re I've referred to it, there, but there is, there's a thing called white privilege, and it's, a tr it's true. 
there was also a thing called male privilege, and if I had time, we would unpack some of this stuff. But basically, if you've got, if you've got enough money, you've got also got the place of financial privilege, and linked to that is an educational privilege. And middle-class kids do well in a middle-class education system. So many ways, people can begin to feel superior. It's not being horrible, but it's just where we are in society insulated from a lot of the issues of life. Some of the hardships of, around housing and income, maybe. Certain attitudes that become entrenched. And I've, I've asked in other churches, I go to other churches on occasion and speak, and I'll, I'll say, well, what's the dominant culture in your church? And if people say to me, well, we haven't really got one, I think, well, it's probably yours. Because we're so blind to it. We don't see it ourselves, do we? But we need to understand. And sometimes this can make us feel a bit uncomfortable and it can challenge us and you think, oh, it means I've got to do things differently and it means I've got to think differently. It's worth doing that if Jesus wants us to. It's worth getting out of our comfort zones every now and again, ain't it? So I want you to think about your church just for a little while in terms of diversity. Because churches are always diverse. They may not be so overt, but there's always diversity. And I've found there's generally three ways which that diversity expresses itself. Two of them are not as good, to be honest with you. Um, and I'll just, I'll just run, fr- run through those three ways. Because, you, you, you know, you, you see a church, yeah, look at the congregation. We're really diverse. But some churches segregate within that diversity. Not, they don't structure it into their programs, you understand. It's just that p- people, so people of like type gather together. You know, you may get your, your group of millionaires always hang out to e- with each other. You don't have many of them here. No. You, or you, or you, you know, you get, you'll get the, your, your group of Nigerians who hang out. Because it's, it's easier to hang out with people of the same cultural background as you. Or you and, and what that happens is, so you can look at the church and think, oh, well, they're really diverse, but actually they don't touch one another. They, they, there's little segregated groups within, like cliques within the bigger church. Segregation. Or assimilation. See, some, sometimes what you, what you can get, and I think this was my experience a little bit, it wasn't that bad when I first became Christian, but the church I got saved in was very white middle class. It's just what it is. We was a bit of a novelty act, weren't we, when we first went there? <laughs> How does he learn to talk with that accent? Um, so so what, what happens is you can assimilate. So the dominant culture is, for example, the where we got saved was a white middle class culture. And, and what, without realising, you, what you're doing, you're making middle class light people. They're not quite as good because they haven't quite had the education and experience and breeding of me. But and so, so, so we assimilate. So people become like us. We don't want that either, I don't think. We want the, the broad sweep of cultural diversity to challenge and impact and cross-fertilise and it, each of us, don't we? And, so, and it is painful and it is difficult. Mate, I've been to Nigeria a couple of times. Right? I've spoken a couple of conferences over there. It's different in Lagos than it is in London, let me tell you that, right? In so many ways and in so... And, the, and I don't like the food that much. 
Some of it's all right. Yeah, I don't like that foo-foo. Any Nigerians in? I, I just couldn't eat it. I loved the jollof rice. and I, 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 went, we, I had one meal in there, right? So it was a, a, this gathering in, in a party. And I, and I loved, listen, I loved being there. I had a great time there. But so many cultural disconnects, I felt really awkward and didn't know what to do. It was, I was out of my comfort zone. But I was, we, we had this party and somebody gave me a plate of food and there was a mountain of jollof rice on this plate. And perched on the top of this rice was this, it, it was... It was foul, F-O-W-L, but it looked foul as well. Do you know what I mean? It was a grey-looking piece of foul, and I thought, I ain't eating that. And I was, I was enjoying my rice, and I was eating around this, and this sort of, my, my mountain of rice was getting smaller with this thing perched on the top of it. And then this great big Nigerian fella come over to me, and he said, do you want that turkey neck? And I thought, mate, you can have the turkey neck. I'll carry on with my rice. Right? It's just, I didn't, even around food, and I'm going to talk about hospitality in a minute, even around food, there are disconnects amongst us. We've got to laugh at each other. We've got to have some fun around this stuff. Let's not be so uptight and, and, and stiff and starchy about it that we can't learn from one another. So we don't want to segregate. We don't want to assimilate. Let's integrate. Right? We, when we accept and honour and celebrate our differences. Now you think, why is Paul telling me all this? I'm quite comfortable as I am. Listen, if we want to change this community, if we want to change our communities, there's all sorts of people here. And if, if people are coming amongst you and thinking, oh, I don't like they're, they're a bit standoffish, or they're not like me, or whatever it may be, we want to be generous with everything that we are, don't we? Right? We're going we're to look at some of the cultural differences and some of the ways that we can misunderstand each other. You know, because we have different expectations and understanding of the same things. So we talk about, let's talk about hospitality. Hospitality is so important. It's a gift. It's a spiritual gift, ain't it? How do we define it, though? Well, so when I first went to that church where I got saved, some lovely, lovely people who are still dear friends now. I was invited to supper, right? That was nice, wasn't it? I'd never been invited to supper in anyone's house in my life. In fact, the word supper was a bit unusual to me because it meant dinner, right? So I was invited to dinner to someone's house. Well, up to that point, I'm 25 years old. I, I'd never had dinner in someone else's house before. I'd had dinner around my nan's and I'd had dinner in my aunt's and that, she wasn't a very good cook. Um, Auntie Colleen, she weren't that good, was she? Um, and, I'd, and I'd eat in restaurants. I wasn't naive. I knew how to go out and use a knife and fork. But I'd never ate around a dinner table with strangers like that before. And it was a bit scary. It's just, just the whole context was alien to me. But for people, they was, they was extending the hand of hospitality to me. Now, I'm not stupid, so I learned some behaviour, and it stood me in good stead over the last 36 years of Christian, so I knew how to eat when I went to the liberal club. I knew what to do and how to sit, and I even put a tie on, right? Um, but hospitality doesn't have to be defined so narrowly. Right? So, th- so just this week, I heard there's a single girl in, in our church, single mum in our church. She's got a very small flat, but she works in the shard, you know, in the shard, and she, she shows people up, up to the... To, however high it is, 30-odd floors or 40-odd floors, I don't know. So, but she gets a little bit of discount as well, apparently. 
So she said, well, what I can do for hospitality is invite some of my friends where I go up to the Shard and have a cocktail together. She said, brilliant. That's one way of doing it. I mean, if people invite me to the Shard for a cocktail, I'd be made up, wouldn't you? You know, if people invite me to any sort of establishment where they were going to give me a drink, I'd be happy. But, so, but pubs and cafes and coffee shops and... We can use these things to extend... And for some people, they'll be, feel much more comfortable in a neutral venue than they will come into your home as well. You haven't got a football team down here, really, have you? No, because I was going to say, go, you can socialise at football clubs, right? Millwall is our local team. I know, they have a terrible reputation. But, but I've, I've, got to know, <laughs> I've got to know a good friend's by going to football with them. So it's, it's been hospitality... Buy me a ticket, I'll come, right? So, but we've connected around these things. Hospitality is a broad thing. I've got to race through some of these things because I'm going to run out of time, aren't I? Communication. Talking to each other. You think, well, that's easy. No, it ain't. Because, let, let, me, tell, let me tell you a story, right? When I, I did a bit of research around this subject of class and the church, um, a, a few years ago, I was... Uh, given a sabbatical, because I work for the church in Bermondsey. I've worked on the staff for 26 years. They gave me a three-month sabbatical a few years ago, so I thought, I've got to have a study and a read-up and interview some people around the church's attitude to the working class. And I spoke to one lady in our church, actually, working-class girl, and I said, um, what do you think about middle-class people? Big open-ended question. She went, they're two-faced. I thought, cool, that's strong. And, you know, of course, middle-class people are no more two-faced than any other background. But I did know what she meant. Let me explain. Because I, I observed at close hand a massive misunderstanding. was an ongoing misunderstanding, really. Uh, and, and resulting conflict from, between two people. And of quite an upper-middle-class trustee of a local charity, which was, I was involved in and a working-class employee of the same charity. Now, this upper-middle-class guy, he was an, an ex-army officer. He was lovely. He was a gent, proper gent, he was. Um, but the conversations between the two, well, they were almost farcical because what I observed was one of the most obvious culture clashes that I've encountered. The working-class man was always brutally honest with everything he said. Honesty was a higher value for him, um, and it, but, but if he thought it, he invariably said it. And even if that caused offence, because honesty trumped that, you know, trumped causing offence. Whereas the middle class fella, or the upper middle class fella, would be much more measured and guarded in his choice of words, being careful not to cause offence. Because the result was... Inevitable offence because the middle-class man was perceived to be a liar and two-faced because he didn't say what he thought. Can you see? And the working-class man was seen as downright rude. So you've got two white English people of the same age talking the same language and there was a complete misunderstanding and disconnect and relationships almost broke down. Now, that's an extreme example, but things like that can happen all the time across church. We've got to be ready to be quick to laugh at ourselves. Right? When we're talking about culture and experience, right? What we think is normal often ain't to most people. We, we've, done, we've done little 
stuff at our church where we've sat people around a table and ate together and chatted through questions. Even stuff like, oh, what did, you do, what did you do for holidays in your family when you were growing up? Those things just reveal something of somebody's personality, somebody's character, somebody's background. Normal things to talk about, but it's revealing. And, we, and there's no right or wrong. And we can, be, we can be tempered, obviously, by the Holy Spirit, and we should be all through our lives. But some things are neutral. They're just different. And we've got to work that out, haven't we? So that's hospitality. I've whizzing through this and communication. Just to say on communication, or good, talking to people, particularly if they are... Yeah, I think particularly if they are from a working-class background, don't start quizzing people about what they do. Because... I've found that middle-class people tend... And this is all stereotyping, isn't it? They tend to do that. So it's very nice to meet you. What do you do? And as soon as they're asking that, I think up subconsciously you're trying to work them out. Where are they in the status of society? Oh, you're a doctor. Hmm. Oh, you're a part-time delivery driver. Care worker, are you? Mm. What people are doing... Um, listen, I'm not dissing any of those jobs, by the way. God bless people who do, do these jobs. But you're, we put people in a hierarchy. Let's not do that. Let's challenge ourselves not to do that. Let's challenge ourselves to, be, to receive from people who we perceive to be, dare I say, lower than us. It's a challenge, isn't it? We can learn loads from people from a very different background to us. A good question to ask somebody is say, how are you doing? How are you doing? Not, oh, it's nice to meet you. How's your job? What do you do? How much do you earn? Right? Don't ask. That, but you'll come across like a policeman. I'm going to talk about policemen in, in a moment. <coughs> Attitudes to authority. These are areas where p- people can differ across classes and one of the interesting ones is well the police is police is one of them for me that that's my last prejudice right i confess this to you i just struggle with the police right now that's terrible isn't it because there's, you're talking about all sorts of people here right but my experience of me isn't good and, and generally, again, if you speak to middle-class people, and if they say that if, if a policeman's walking down their street, they feel a little bit safer. I spoke to, speak to some of the fellows I know where I live, and if they see a policeman walking, well, probably if they see a policeman walking, they'd start running, to be honest. But it's, they don't feel safer. They feel threatened. And that was more my experience when I was growing up. It's only because I was a bit naughty, but that's just the fact. Um, and I could tell you some stories which wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't edify you about the police. Any police in today? Anyone? In? Bless you. Right, sorry. Because it's my problem. But honestly, it's my problem. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's about authority. This is, this is where I'm going with this. It's all about authority. You know, so who makes the decisions that affect the quality of life of my community? How are those decisions made? Who decides what type of housing should be built and who should live in it? It's generally the decision makers who don't live round here. That's so there's a big estate of houses up near the Elephant and Castle, if you know the geography of South London, called the Haygate Estate. 
brutalist architecture. And it, so you look at it and you think, that looks rough. It was quite rough. They've knocked it all down. And all those council houses have been replaced by fancy privately rented or privately bought flats. Social cleansing. Somebody made a decision. People lived in them flats. And lots of them, because I know them, liked living there. Somebody made, That's a disconnect with authority, if you ask me. Um, and we churches, as churches, we need to understand something about that. We need to earn trust. And don't, we don't want to be seen as them, whatever that means. And now I'm not dissing local councils, and I'm, and I'm not dissing the police, honestly, because I've got good relationships with both my local council and I've had good meetings with our, our local policemen, and some of them are lovely. I said some, didn't I? If that, so, but, but we don't want to be seen as the, the bad guys, right? If they are seen as the bad guys, we, want to, we don't want to be them and us. Another issue is money and generosity. These are issues where we can find differences. Attitudes to money, I've found, is one of the defining factors when looking at class. She'll give you her last 10 pound, huh? Have you heard people say that about people or similar words to that? Somebody, what they're saying is, she hasn't got much, but she's really generous. She'll look after you. She, she sees the need and she meets it. That's biblical, isn't it? Right? You know, pastorally, you think, well, don't give your last 10 pound away. How are you going to feed your children? Well, the widow's might was all she had. As a teenager, I, I worked for the family builders' merchants during the school holidays, right? When I was about, you know, 13, 14. And when we were delivering building materials to places like Chislehurst or Bromley, if you know the area, they're quite nice, posh parts of northwest Kent, right? And you, you, you turn up, you unload a load of bricks in the school summer holidays and you're sweating and car carrying bags of cement all around the back of this great big house and go, can you put it down by the summer house? You think, oh. You take it all the way down there, you unload it, come back, and the guy goes, thank you very much. And you think, it don't give you anything, right? So we go to a little modest council house in Plumstead or somewhere and you, you drop off a couple of, I don't know, a couple of paving slabs and the man will go, here, boy, and he'll give you a fiver or a £10 note. Very generous. Now, I'm not saying one person's tight and one person isn't, but there's a difference. There's a, there was a family I knew, a Christian family, very, very generous to the church and very good earners. And there was a, a, a mobile hairdresser who was also in the same church, and she did the family's haircuts. And I forget the numbers exactly, but she, say, say the, she did some haircuts and it came to £97, right? And uh, the guy gave her £100 and he said, oh, well, you can give me the change when I see you on Sunday. Oh, no, that's what I thought. But I know he's not tight. I know he's really generous. It's just a difference. It's a disconnect. And we've got to understand that and we've got to allow for that. And we can talk it through with people. But the whole thing around money, that's my alarm. Look, I've set the alarm. It's 12.30. Have I got two more minutes? I have. Do you want me to speak for two more minutes? No, they said. <laughs> um, solid, I've, I've put a heading of solidarity. It's a very... Sounds very sort of political almost. Belonging. 
I did a funeral recently for a local family. In fact, one of them was a member of our church, recently become Christian. And they, they sent me a card. And, and what she'd done, she'd gathered all the little statements of people, of gratitude from family members. And one of those statements that stood out to me, it said, he's one of your own. It was like, I was one of us. I was one of them. And that meant so much to me. There's a, straight away, there was a connection. I was one of them because I lived like them. I live in the same community, shop in the same shops, drink, the, drink in the same pubs, fought the same battles with the council and local schools. And my, you know, my kids went to the same schools. My kids have socialised with, with, with people. I'm one of their own. And that, for me, was so special. And that gave me, not that I need, need permission, but it gives me permission to communicate the gospel. Much, it's much easier to communicate the gospel out of that context. Can you see? Does that make sense? I'm not on the outside looking in. Or I think he's one of those nice church people. He's nothing like us. He doesn't know how we live. I'm there with them. I live with them. A couple of com- comments about our church meetings. When, when I first went to church, it was interesting, but people sat in quiet rows, a bit like you're doing now. Some people taking notes. You think, God, is there an exam at the end of this? Which is nothing wrong with that. I used to take notes. I had books full of them. Um, I'd never read them again. That's why I stopped taking notes. Because well, I've got all these notebooks. I've never read, looked at them again. <clears throat> but, but sometimes our, our, our style of church can be a barrier. I'm not saying you should change everything, but just ask why you do it. Um, and that's because you know, we, we, we say church is family, but the problem with that is people define family so different as well. Some families, everyone's talking at once and the kids are running around and it's all, it seems like chaos. And that does me and my OCD doesn't like that. I think I want it all nice and clean and ordered and sorted out. But we're all different. So we just got to be aware that people are coming, even now social events, you know, do we do cheese and wine or we do, do we do karaoke? What are we going to do? Maybe do both, but you'll reach a different section of society. But don't just do one. <coughs> I, knew, I knew one church who used to charge, <coughs> used to put on really good events, used to charge like proper ticket prices for it. And I said, well, you're excluding loads of people by doing that. You're excluding large swathes of your community by charging £10 to, to come to your after-dinner speaker or whatever you've got. We mustn't overlook unschooled, ordinary men, as the NIV puts it. Peter and the other apostles were considered unschooled and ordinary. We want to raise up leaders from every walk of life. You know, bricklayers and bankers working side by side to honour God and advance the kingdom. We want to reach our society. Let me... I, I have run out of time, so I'm going to read to you one more passage of scripture, which is, we don't want our church to be like the one described in James chapter 2, should come up on the screen. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil 
thoughts. I don't want a church to be like that. But I know I can do it subconsciously and subtly, not maybe as blatant as that. You know, I'll finish with this, but Denise, my wife who was up just now, she had a prophetic word quite strong a little while ago, and she brought it to our church because she said, God's told me he's going to bring his friends in amongst us. But then he says, but, but my friends, they're going to fidget, some of them, and they're going to get up and walk around, and some of them might smell. But I want you to welcome them. And then a little while ago, we were sat in church, and there was a couple behind us who hadn't been there long. And, and t- to be honest with you, one of them smelled of wee, right? And I said, can you smell that? And she, looked, she said, yeah. And she looked at me and smiled. And she says, great, isn't it? Because God's prophecy was being fulfilled. And we want to see our churches packed with every tribe and tongue and nation and people group and culture and subculture, every age from all across, don't we? We don't want to be divisive. We want to be inclusive because Jesus is the one who unites us all. Amen? Amen. Thank you. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for us because this, I've rabbited on and on, but there's some challenges buried in what I've said we put this into practice. Holy Spirit, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you always want to change us. You are, and you always want to change us from one degree of glory to the next. We're a work in progress and I pray we won't get stuck. I pray, Lord, that you would change us where we need to be changed regarding attitudes to others, whatever their background. I pray that none of us will assume um, a superior position, but we would see people as you see them. We would love the lost. We would love one another in the context of the church, the body of Christ, one new man in Christ. And I pray for grace to reach out, whether it be in the church or whether it be outside the church for both. Grace to reach out across our cultural barriers and our comfort zones for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of salvation to come. Bless everyone in this room, Lord. Let us all take something from this meeting as we go about our day and the current and days in the future. I pray that in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen? Amen. Thank you very much.